This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two Barchies and a Bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden, bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. We are gathered here today to, I guess, in some ways, drag next star, depending on the plans that they have. But first, we have to get into some sad news, uh, which is that Jordan Elsass is leaving Superman and Lois. So we are most likely getting a recast of Jonathan Kent for season three. Talk about a shock, right? Um, uh, was it two nights ago, a few nights ago, I was scrolling and seeing that. And you're like, it's one of those moments where you're just kind of like, is, is that real? You had to check the source. It it kind of feels like it came out of nowhere. Um and I know all, all the Superman at Lois fans are understandably shocked about it, but like, yeah, it's a big shock. I didn't see that coming. I mean, you never really do when you, when people leave shows, but you wouldn't have expected that after the finale. Mm-mm. And it's like, I hope everything's good with him. I will be good with him. Um, I know this is certainly going to change up the plot of season three. Uh, I don't know how much they had storied out, if they had anything at all besides the general direction. But not having Jonathan Kent, I'm assuming, in the first few episodes, unless they go like fast track casting, um, is going to be really different. Definitely. Like Jordan was such a big part of the show. Of course, any series regular is a big part of the show, but he was part of that close with those four main characters, that close knit family unit, like all of the posters and everything. Well, obviously now that we'll need new, new cast shoots and everything. But I think the thing that it's hard to imagine the show without him, because I know Jonathan was always the character that was maybe the least, uh, got the least attention out of the four main leads. But as season two went on, Jonathan really came into his own. And then Jordan got to play the other version of Jonathan from the bizarro world. It's just he's really, really come into his own over the last second season or the whole second season. And it's just going to be so difficult to imagine the show without him, particularly the brotherly bond that Jonathan and Jordan share. Jordan and Alex Garfin were, were so strong together. They had such great brotherly chemistry. It's just it's going to be hard to imagine the show with a new Jonathan, because I do think that's the direction they're going in. Someone who watches a show and loves a show that has frequently recast characters and cast members i wish the best to the superman and lois fans that are bigger fans than me and just you know it gets better you just gotta you know take it with a grain of salt it's gonna be different um but you know it, it sometimes it's fun maybe that's not the vibe that superman and lois goes for compared to dynasty but i will say sometimes with recastings you just gotta like this is what we're doing we got to get on board it's not ideal but um but yeah, it's it's I, it's a rite of passage, I'm going to say, for CW <laughs> at this point. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be strange to get used to, but at least it's coming after like two seasons. Like it's not like we're we're what, five to six seasons in to the show and then you have to adjust. Um, but, you know, anyone who watches a soap opera, like you mentioned, Reed, you just you roll with it. Like everything's going to be a yeah. little different. <laughs> Yeah, um, you may really like the new actor who brings something, um, a different dynamic to the table. You may just be okay with them. But either way, the show is moving forward. So we must move forward with them too. And it's a growing thing. Like you just have to, 
you can't expect this new actor to come in and beat Jordan Elsass. You, they have to find their own rhythm and their own chemistry in the character. And sometimes it's, again, it's not ideal, but you just, um, it's the new reality. And if Superman and Lois is half of the success the dynasty has with recasting, <laughs> they're on the right track. <laughs> yes. But like the Jordan Elsass news isn't like the only bad news from the CW that come, is coming out. I just feel like every time CW is in the news lately, unless it's casting, it's not news we want to hear. Um, though we did want the next star sale to go through just because we wanted to be done with the sale portion of uh, this new era for the CW. But that didn't mean when they decided to start releasing um, information on the changes they were gonna make that we're on board with the things that they're saying. Well, starting from the top, it's that they're saying the average viewer on the CW is 58 years old and up. And I would just like to know who these 58 year olds are. I need them to be serious. Like, come on, you can't just put that stat out and expect us to be like, yeah, you're right. It's like they were rightfully flamed <laughs> for saying that. <laughs> like, like, be serious. <laughs> no, you can only make a first impression once. And now the new owners of the CW and a notoriously teen oriented network have now come out and said when their first statement that 58 year olds is the average CW audience. And we're talking about shows with internet fan bases that are just endless. What kind of reaction were they expecting with a statement like that? And they haven't left a down since, and I don't know if they ever will. I don't think so, because out the gate, we just fumbled. Um, I just, it, because you make a statement like that, and then where's the data to back it up? Like, where are we getting these numbers from? I mean, I know they have a lot of the local affiliate stations, so perhaps that's where the data is coming from. But when you look at the fandoms, um, which, uh, to be fair, um, has a diversity of age, it does skew younger, but there are older audiences tuning into these shows. But the idea that like no it's basically 58 year olds and then everybody else is like sprinkled in it's just like that can't possibly be true especially if you don't like it seems they didn't factor in streaming Mm -hmm. which they should have i think what they're aiming for is try to improve the on the night audience and clearly uh, it makes sense that more older people would be watching on the night because younger people can catch up on streaming services on catch up through international audience deals Uh, but all of that's out there for younger people whereas i think the whole point is the cw is trying to appeal and grow their older audience because they're the ones that will be watching on the night. And yeah, when you break it down like that, it makes total sense. Saying that the average CW viewer is 58 years old does not make a lot of sense. So I think it's all about how they portray themselves here. And I don't think that was the right statement to release first. See, I can get on board with them trying to broaden their appeal to a different demographic, but there's just so many holes we can Uh, put into this 58 year old average viewer like first of all if they're using like you mentioned Serena affiliate data it's like duh people who are most likely retired are going to be watching daytime television that's just like something we can assume and two who is most likely footing the bill for cable an older person who is a parent and their children can watch these, can use a login to watch these shows. So it's like, I don't know, the data feels very skewed and like not the full story. Um, I saw someone tweet, like we could use a good focus group. And I'm like, yeah, put the three of us in a focus group and we'll tell you what's up. That's, <laughs> is this not what this podcast is? <laughs> yes, exactly. I just feel like it's the wrong footing 
to start out with. Um, it also feels, I know they want to be profitable by 2025 and there's a road forward for that. But the idea that you're going to be profitable by 2025 and alienate the audience that made the CW who are still watching and they brought in younger audiences too, it's just focus group it. Let us lead it. And then like, <laughs> just like get the, get the more accurate data. I mean, so we're talking about profitability though. That means that they might be opening the doors to more than just WBD and Paramount after this um, lineup for 2022-2023, which is, which could be good. It could be good. I don't want to be scared of it. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting thing because the CW has been partnered with Warner Brothers and a Paramount or CBS for its entire life and clearly has been a successful partnership because regardless of whether the network's profitable or not, it's produced some incredibly successful TV series. So if they have the scope, if they have the desire to open it up to other production companies and networks, I think it could absolutely be a great idea. I just think that the fear is from ushering, comes from fans being afraid that they'll usher the old ones out because if you lose Warner Brothers, you don't have any more DCTV. And isn't that not part of what got the CW through the last decade? Um, one of its two most watched programs right now is a superhero show. In fact, its most watched program for probably the last 10 years has been a superhero show. So losing Warner Brothers is not a good thing, but opening your doors to other networks, that's a very good thing. Do you think they would cut ties completely and like cancel more shows? That's the scary part because we're already on a scaled down lineup as it is. I mean, they were not afraid to take out the axe this year. And the idea that we're going to cut more of them with no replacements, that's the thing. If they cut more shows, but they're replaced, that's, um, that's a different conversation. If they cut more shows and we get acquisitions, like what are you doing? Is this going to be the acquisition network? Uh, mm-hmm. I hope that's like not the case. I really also hope they do not u- lose the Warner Brothers connection because they're going to need to hold on to that at least for um, a few more years if they want to become profitable. I mean, the biggest draws right now are, like Michael said, the superhero shows. And then you have Walker, which I believe is a CBS show. So don't par- don't alienate Paramount. But um, Nexter has to walk a fine line about what they're going to keep and what they're going to let go. Mm hmm. No, at the end of the day, it's all about finding that healthy balance. And I know that original statement didn't didn't make it sound like they were going to do that. We, I don't think this era can survive if they'd make a complete hard pivot and alienate what's always been there. And the CBS at Warner Brothers deals are something that's always been there. And like, it's it's pretty ironic that the network's two most watched shows, one is a Warner Brothers one, one is a CBS one. It's not like two, two from Warner Brothers or two from CBS. I just think that says a lot equally of how important both of those partners are in this deal. So after this season's over, I would keep the both of them around. Again, open your doors to other networks. That's great. But keep the two things that have gotten you through this period alive. Sure. And then they also said there, so this is the thing that confused me. If for, if they're going to have a different approach from other broadcast networks in the sense that they're not going to have a dual agenda of green lighting programming that has the potential for um, doing well on streaming, um, what is the point of the CW app? I, it's, it, nothing makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm stumped by all of the, most of these quotes 
and like what their what their plan actually is. How are you you can't just be like, oh, we're gonna be unlike any other broadcast network. It's like, okay, but how? Mm-hmm. And, and this is what confuses me. They're trying to turn the CW into a broadcast network and then release a statement saying they're going to be unlike any other broadcast network. And like those two things don't line up. The reason the CW was always unlike any other broadcast network was because it invested so much in streaming and international deals. I've said this a hundred times already, probably on this podcast, not just in real life, but that uh, across the water, you might not hear about the most successful American procedural. You just, you might not, even if it is bringing in 10 or 12 million viewers in the States, but across the water, you have heard of The Flash, Superman at Lois, Supergirl. So even though The CW is the least watched of the big five, its shows are probably some of the most successful in the world. So why lose that by becoming a broadcast network like the others and then claiming you're not going to be a broadcast network by the, like the others? It's all very confusing to me right now, and I think it's supposed to be, but like every, everything conflicts with everything at the moment. I wonder if they mean creating a stronger like i don't want to say brand identity because the cw definitely has a brand but like when you see a show you're like oh that's cw because there are certain shows on right now like i saw someone talking about abbott elementary that a lot of people aren't aware that it's an abc show they think it's a hulu show because that's where they're watching it um and i think maybe some cw shows also have fallen to that like riverdale's constantly um misidentified as a netflix show and it is in other countries, but it's the CW show. So I wonder if they're going to try to really strengthen their shows and brand them as CW shows rather than like trying to find success on streaming like they did with like Dynasty and Riverdale and all those shows that have a really strong following on streaming, but aren't like huge, huge shows on the network. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if maybe that's what that means. It might be. If that is what they mean, they need you as the commentator, Reed, because that's not what I got from, from the quote at but it's all. Also but it's like, like it's, it's not going to, they can't just snap their fingers and be like, oh, suddenly all of our shows are like super branded CW. Like you have to work toward that. You can't just be like, we're not going to put this show on Netflix anymore. It's going to be our own show. That's a really hard um, distinction to make for consumers. It is. I think if we're trying to like, um get back in a time machine and which like that like for instance gossip girl was a cw show i mean but we're like we're talking about that that that's before the age of streaming and sometimes people come into a show based on where it lands on a streamer and i think that's okay but if we're going to if it's like no we're going to brand our shows so that like even if you watch them on a streamer you know it's a cw show that's going to take money poured into marketing and promotion so that like you just know like these new shows, they're CW, even if you watch it on HBO Max or um, or Netflix, this is a CW show. This That's just their streaming home. I don't know if that you can make that distinction in two years. I wouldn't be surprised if we started to see um, like branding above shows logos on like a poster or something that says CW original, like CBS does now. It's like everyone has to, make sure people know like this is our show it's not the show where you're ever wherever you're watching it that's not their show it's our show it's so funny now how like we're in this day and age where everything we have to be told like whose show it is whether it's like it says hbo max original or cbs original it's like it's a really weird time and i think the cw is gonna have to navigate that 
Mm-hmm. Sure. Do you think they're going to do that? Because um, I'm not, I actually haven't watched a CW show on Netflix in a while, but do you think they're going to do that CW logo thing? It was like, dun, 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 and I think they thing do thing for, for them all. I think they do for Dynasty, I want to oh. say. I don't know. I haven't watched Dynasty on Netflix in a while, but I think it does say that. See, okay. that's really interesting because like for a CW, we don't have an awful lot of the CW shows on Netflix because that deal did only was for specific shows. Um, but Dynasty is on Netflix for us and it, it actually leads with a Netflix original series. And that goes back to the whole idea of we all know what the CW shows are around the world, but not that many people are aware of what the CW is around the world. The, the production companies always get the credit. If you bought something like, um, I was going to say Nazi Joe, but it's not released on like any format internationally. Um, but like if you bought something like The Flash, Warner Brothers would get the credit. I wonder if maybe now in, in years to come when you buy a CW show on a Blu-ray DVD in any part of the world, the CW logo will be on it because the CW was just an earring hub for CBS at Warner Brothers shows. Now that they're actually possibly trying to turn the CW into a brand, could we see, like you said, the, C- the CW logo on all of the promotional material, on all of the DVD releases, wherever it goes on streaming, even leaving with that din, 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 din CW logo? That would be pretty cool. If they do, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> that, but see, stuff like that's a little exciting though, because mm. I'd love if the um, the CW was branded more. I'm trying. I mean, I was younger when WB was becoming was like the hottest um, thing out here. But I think WB did that with everything. Yeah, I think on like Smallville DVDs it says the WB presents, mm. and then it says mm. Smallville. I don't know if they did that for every show, but. Um, yeah, it was definitely for some shows that said that. Okay, well, then it's say CW Presents on, on <laughs> a lot of things. One of the things I hope they don't do, and this is going to be my favorite part of the pod, because it's where we pitch, y'all. We love pitching an idea, and hopefully the mole takes it back to its overlords <laughs> and like suggests it for us. But one of the things about pivoting, which we hope it's not a hard pivot, is that like if they do believe that the average audience, uh, the average viewer on the CW is 58 years old, please remember that not every 58-year-old is simply watching like old reruns of things um, that like they too love diverse content. Um, like don't be ageist and <laughs> with, with your, your pitches, y'all. But for our pitches, like we're going to start Bear with us, y'all, because I know some of y'all don't like reboots and cannot yeah. stand a revival. You but know, that's what we're launching we're, are we with. on record of saying, like, the CW needs to cut it out with the reboots? <laughs> we are. But you know what? We're in the flop era and they're going to need a reboot to, yeah, to yeah, yeah. help lift yeah. them. Yeah, we can be wishy-washy because if that's what they need, we're going to give them some ideas. <laughs> if they're dead <laughs> exactly, on reboots, exactly. we're going to be like, okay, then let's let's do it. All in. We're all in. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And Out the Gate is one that we already talked about before. Um, and so we're going to pitch it again. A One Tree Hill revival. It, that would be interesting. What was my pitch before? It was like just the three women, mm-hmm. like an mm-hmm. just like that. Like, I, I still think that would be a really good idea. Yeah. You said minimal teens. Like it needs yeah, to focus yeah. on. I don't need the next like, generation. I need what we all care about, which is Brooke, Peyton, and Haley. Yes. And I don't listen to so everybody. Fun. That's what I care about. I just said we all care about. <laughs> <laughs> I do too, though. I mean, that um, if we're going to, again, trying to shoot for older audiences, next generation is not the way to go. You, you need <laughs> the three mains. It would be a, it would be a really good progression from their rewatch podcast and fully 
they've been reclaiming this legacy that was kind of taken from them from events that you can you can google we won't get into that here but it would be a really nice thing for them to be able to fully reclaim it and take it back and do whether it's a limited series like Gilmore Girls did or whatever I think it'd be really cool to see these characters again on the actresses terms so they can create a safe environment to express these characters that have defined a generation and continue to inspire people it would be really fun as a limited series like cute 13 episodes perhaps release it in the summer when the lineup is is not as hot as it would be for the fall um cheerleading camp perhaps for whatever reason they have to go back or a reunion of some kind yeah and i think that it would put less pressure on them having to round up the full cast because i think that's where headaches start it's like you have to lock down yeah. like 10 people but if you have just characters we love popping in for like cameos that'd be perfect it would be okay that's that's definitely on the list of it should come out in 2024 no 2023 that'd be fun mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and then this was a joke but it, it kind of like would work on the <laughs> cw but murder she wrote black 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 <laughs> there is one bankable thing about network television today's day and age it's a procedural and we don't need more procedurals on tv but one thing cw does really well really well is genre procedurals you've seen it in the superhero shows over the years and uh, nancy drew is now an example of it as well it's where it's like seeped in a genre of something else some other type of fiction and it also, it lends itself nicely to the episode of the week format. And I don't think you'll find a more successful example of that than Murder, She Wrote. Uh, when it aired on CBS in the 90s, in the 80s and the 90s, it had like 40 million, 30 million viewers weekly. That many people were tuning into it. And then CBS stupidly moved it to so it clashed with friends and the ratings fell to like 16 million and then it was cancelled. Imagine getting cancelled with 16 million viewers. But it... Uh, I think that if the CW is trying to appeal to an older audience, but maintain a younger audience at the same time, a show like Murder, She Wrote would be a successful kind of niche because it's the original is still on TV today. It's syndicated all around the world, all over the place. You can find it in any country on any channel. And it's so popular. Young people tune into it because it's a safe show to watch, even with the heavy material. And older people either remember it from back in the day or they're just addicted to the fiction genre. And I always, when I look back, growing up at some of the shows that were on TV it and another example I'll get to in a moment Ghost Whisperer are two that I always hold up really really as high examples of that procedural format but they were also very special to me because me my brother and my granny would sit and watch them all the time together and I think that's an example of how it appeals how both of those shows appeal to multiple multiple uh, generations um, so I think if you wanted to do a Murder, re, murder She Wrote reboot I would prefer a revival, but the best we're going to get is a standalone movie from Angela Lansbury. So let's go for a reboot. Um, again, just do what they did with the original. Cast a slightly mature actress, maybe in her late 30s, 40s. Someone, a big name that can get attention in mm-hmm. and then expect people to tune in for Adventure of the Week. And if you have to add an overall arc to it, do it. But I just think Murder, She Wrote is such a like glossy property that I'm shocked a revival or a reboot has not happened yet. So I think that could be that could definitely help reboot the CW, especially the fact that the original is owned by CBS and they're still in partnership with CBS. So that feels obvious. 
and then Ghost Whisperer, the other, that's my other end of the coin. I would prefer a revival of that because Jennifer Love Hewitt would absolutely be down for doing that. Again, it was aired on CBS, so I'm sure they could make it work. I think it was produced by ABC. So if they want to open their doors to ABC, make it happen. It was one of the most popular shows of its generation. It brought in killer ratings every Friday night. And for some reason, CBS canceled that. Never made any sense. People have been crying out for a revival for years launch the CW with a Jennifer Love Hewitt revival. I just think that would be so cool. So yeah, they're my two examples of that. I think Murder, She Wrote and Ghost Whisperer have so much in common, but I think a Murder, She Wrote reboot and a Ghost Whisperer revival would be excellent additions to the lineup. I can't believe they haven't pursued Ghost Whisperer yet. Right? That's shocking. Now the opportunity. opportunity so. Didn't they like 10 years ago try to um, reboot Murder, She Wrote? And Angela was like, absolutely not. Not on my watch. <laughs> oh, was that something that happened? Was yeah, it like Octavia think, Spencer? I think it was supposed to go ahead and then didn't. There's a lot of reboots now in the last 10 years that never went ahead. The same thing happened with Bewitched as well, I think. Um, and Buffy. Um, so I just yeah. I feel I like- think it's a really good idea, though. Like, it doesn't need to be like CW, like sexy and like she's a young sleuth. Um, I like your idea of making the character um, more mature to appeal to various demographics. Exactly. I, I, that's, I think that's the appeal of Murder, She Wrote. It reels so many people from so many different generations in, and it's very easy watching. So again, why not just try to recreate the success of the original? I think the thing that current CW does is, is it tends to remake things maybe too much that it alienates fans of the original. I think if it if really wanted to make a Murder, She Wrote reboot work, it would take what worked in the original and just slightly modify it for a modern audience. And with a show like that, very little needs modified. I think they could do a, um, a best of both worlds thing. Like, I'm not sure if a backdoor movie thing is like a thing that people do, but if they wanted to do a, a murder, she wrote movie with the lead actress and then the new, like for the, the reboot actress would be related to her in some fashion, or perhaps just a woman that she'd worked with before who then takes on the role. And then we get the murder she wrote show. That's a good way of not alienating people. Cause there's a connection. Yeah, definitely. So then it's, it is kind of like a revival. It's a sequel, but at the same time, it's a reboot. I actually really like that. Yeah. It's like Let passing Angela. the torch. Exactly. Yeah. Let Angela Lansbury have one more run and then kick off the new series in the process. Oh, and that could be like a, that could be like a, an event, like the appointment television for the CW. Definitely. Oh, CW I, like has, I hope you have a notebook. <laughs> like, I hope you all take notes, get the pen out and the paper. We're giving you great ideas <laughs> to bridge the gap between the teens and the 58 year olds. <laughs> yes. Next up is Ally McBeal. There is reportedly an Ally McBeal revival in the works. Really? Um, I didn't hear that. Yes. Is um, Callista involved? Apparently so, yes. And she does not do television that often. Um, She doesn't. It could not. I will lead with this. It cannot be filmed in Vancouver because she could not come over for seasons two to six of Supergirl. So do not try to film it in Vancouver. (laughs) Michael's already scouting locations. (laughs) Um, uh, She will work in LA. Make it happen. Um, Yeah, so there is apparently an Annie McBeal revival in the works. It has been a long time since we've heard head and her tale of it. But I do remember it caught fire when the announcement was made because Callista Flockhart, obviously she she works in her location. That's why she got season one of Supergirl. But then she couldn't do the rest of the show when it moved to Vancouver. But with the CW's connection to Supergirl, it was one of their most popular shows. Everybody loves Callista Flockhart. Um, and 
just the thought of seeing her back on TV in her most famous role is just oh, incredible. And the fact is, a lot of people would tune into that because Ali McBeal was just, it, it was, it feels like probably one of the biggest shows of its time that hasn't got the chance to find that second life that so many other shows of that time have. And I think a revival could do it, do it wonders. And I know the parts of it were that the character was somewhat vain and that she was terrified of growing old. So I think that a show, a revival set when she is in her more mature years, I think that's absolutely genius. It would be wonderful to see how that character would process that and deal with it. We all love female-led television. Callista Flockhart is a wonderful actress. The CW fans would tune in to see her because of the Supergirl connection. The Ally McBeal fans would tune in to see it because it's Ally McBeal. And I just feel like that would generate so much buzz. A lot of the CW reboots and revivals maybe targeted the wrong kind of generation, whereas Ally McBeal feels like one of those first real internet sensations right when the internet was in its infancy. So could you imagine what it would be like now, both with those original fans coming back and this current internet generation? I think that'd be a great idea. Did you watch the show, Michael? I have not. My brother has and he adored it. Um, and my mom watched it in the day, in the 90s as well. So I I would watch it just so I could tune in for the revival. You know, I would watch anything with Calista in it. Yeah, because I was wondering if if it's like, I don't know anything about the show besides it was really popular and it's a legal drama. <laughs> <laughs> but I was wondering if it was like canon that she had a child or something because it feels like now that child would be like in their 20s. It could be like the next, like... Oh, nice. Not like the next generation, but like... Um, like being a mentor from her or using her mother as a mentor or something. And I think it would be a really cool um, way to open the door. I know they always use like children as like the, as the uh, stepping stone to bringing a show back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it can get kind of tired, but um, if it was about her, like fearing getting old, seeing that reflected in like her adult daughter or son would be really interesting. Well, our producer Mike says she has a daughter. So again, <laughs> CW, take notes. I mean, that could be so fun. Also, there's the possibility of Lucy Liu coming back, even if it's mm-hmm. just for a short arc. Um, so again, see big name um, actors and actresses. Like CW has a catalog, WBCBS and um, CW has a catalog to draw from. Like we don't have to do television for older people that's like new and fresh and like them starting out from from zero it can be like stories about like what character beloved characters are doing now that they're in their more mature years and I hope like that's going to be the case if they do that they also need if we're going to make room for a legal drama we also have to make room for some family comedies and if they did a limited series and we return to Reba with Reba McIntyre That'd be so fun. I mean, she's scorching up the earth as it is um, in the upcoming like Lifetime movie, The Hammer, and she'll be in Big Sky playing a villain for season three. So it's Miss Reba is out here and perhaps she can come back to the CW. People love that show. It's not at the mm-hmm. level as like Friends, but it is constant, constantly in reruns on TV. And it was like an edgy family drama, but it was like wholesome and we know wholesome is the buzzword at the new cw (laughs) (laughs) so it feels like the the a good bridge between the likes the sensibilities of yesteryear and the future um i think reba could do it not to put all of that on her shoulders but it would be a fun um 
callback to back in the day. It would be. And we need a little bit of laughter on the CW. And we're not getting much of it. (laughs) We're not getting much of it. And it's still because Reba was a little on the edgy side. I mean, it's about a woman whose family becomes blended because her husband leaves her for his assistant at the dentist's office. And then that woman, like, at one point she's living in a house with her, isn't she not? I don't know. They live next door, I think. Oh, okay. And the oldest daughter was pregnant as a teenager. It really got into the issues. (laughs) It did. And like somehow, like it still managed to be, even though it had a heavy subject matter, because that's real heavy. I mean, like her husband, her ex-husband put her through a lot, but it was like funny. It was so funny. And she was great in it. Mm -hmm. I'd say it's underrated, even though it doesn't, it's probably not because people really do love that show, but it does feel underrated a little bit. It does. It doesn't come up in the conversations of family comedies as much as I would like it to. It needs well, to, though. Yeah, CW, bring it back. Call Reba. Call Reba. <laughs> and then there's like, there's 21 Jump Street, which admittedly, I have not watched the shows or I've seen um, the, movies. the movies. I've only seen uh, the movies. I haven't seen either, but I know that we, so the fans at Entertainment Fam was talking about 21 Jump Street at one point. I think Cody was binged it. I can't remember now, Did but um, I think so. It was one of our random conversations. It just didn't then bled into other things. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, uh, I think like if they're going to do procedurals um, and they're still trying to like entertain a, a younger audience, having two undercover cops in a high school trying to track something down um, could be fun. As long as they don't lean too far into the comedy and still let it be like a, maybe a dramedy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little, it's, it's, um, it'd be a reboot. It's a known IP. People would check it out just to see what it what it's gonna do on the network, and it still fits into CW's brand, even though they don't really do cop dramas. It's Walker, and that's it. <laughs> you know, I I'm not as familiar with that, but I have to say it, it again. Like Ali McBeal is like one of those shows that defined a generation, and I also think it's old enough that a reboot or a revival on the CW would absolutely draw that kind of attention. I know we talked about maybe CW recently going for shows that were more modern. You're like, why did we need to reboot that so soon? But I feel like that one's a good choice, just like the ones Ali McBeal goes to Murder, She Wrote, that it's far enough removed from the original that it would generate enough interest and buzz and also wouldn't be confused with the movies at the same time. Yeah. It's a, little, it's a little thing we can put to the side. It's an option. I'll put a little <laughs> star next to it. We like our <laughs> options. <laughs> yes. And this one, Felicity, starring Millie Bobby Brown, came from a conversation we had in the group chat. And I'm like, it should happen. Someone call Millie. When you said Millie as the lead of this reboot, it got so serious for me. Because you know I've been screaming about Felicity as much as I can. Anytime I get the chance, I scream about Felicity because I love that show. It, it, your dream casting is just <laughs> spot on and perfect. I don't know if it would ever happen realistically because Millie is booked and absolutely busy. Oh my God. But if she ever does TV again after Stranger Things, it, it would just be perfect. I don't know if it would be like a revival because as much as I would love to see Carrie Russell back, she's amazing. Um, but it would be really cool to see how they repackage what that show was in the modern age because it was about this girl with really big feelings that would use her tape recorder to record like it was like a audio diary that she sent to her french tutor it was really random i don't know why she did that um 
but like in these days, you're not going to see a, a, a college freshman in her dorm room with a tape recorder. She'd be like, what, sending voice notes on iMessage? I don't know. I think it would be really fun to get back to, it wasn't a teen drama, even though they were, I guess, 19. It was a mature drama. Like my mom loved Felicity when it was on. So like, that's the kind of mature show, not just like in who you're casting, but like the content, like the storytelling, it was very mature. It didn't try to like water anything down. And I think that those kind of shows will appeal to the 58 year olds. I'm going to keep saying it because it's ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you were to update it for this generation, I think it would be like Millie would play of an influencer of some kind but she'd have a patreon where you could access her personal thoughts (laughs) (laughs) and so like there's like an ad there's like a tier where like if you want like talks with felicity um that would be just her literally just recording herself in whatever alcove she can find and she just talks about her feelings and like somehow she creates a community where they don't even release the videos everyone's just very protective of her content and that's how she does her video their video diaries now i think it could be cute i wish the internet was that peaceful in real life (laughs) i know (laughs) we'll just call it escapism (laughs) aspirational Uh yes oh god no, I want it. And we probably won't get it. But no. No. That would be amazing. Cause that show like defined love triangles. That's probably mm-hmm. not accurate, but it <laughs> did for me as a child watching that show. Like it was the start of the ship wars. Could we have gonna, a healthy I mean, love triangle? I mean, probably not. That one was very chaotic, but oh. in like a in like a normal way, I would say it's not like a Riverdale love triangle. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Like these were normal kids in a normal universe. So <laughs> <laughs> CW needs to actually give some normalcy because everybody is out here struggling with supernatural things. Fighting ghosts, levitating off the ground with curses. Meditating. Um, yeah, meditating. Oh, on yes, the street. Meditating. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of DC shows. Yeah, speaking though, of DC. Uh... <laughs> Michael, yes. it's your time. <laughs> I spoke that into existence. <laughs> uh, so, look, we talk about tools the CW can benefit from by opening its doors, but let's talk about some of the tools now the CW can benefit from that they've been benefiting from for the last decade, which is why it would be ridiculous to lose them. And of course, yes, it's me. We're talking about DC. Um, so there are a lot of things we can we could work with to mature to to appeal to a mature audience. DC does appeal to a mature audience, but some of the more recent DC shows have not. So there's your issue. Um, and I I don't think Gotham Knights will bridge that gap to the 58-year-olds. I'm sorry. I'm just going to go on record and say that now. The show could be so much better than the trailer would suggest, but it doesn't look like a show that the average 58-year-old would say, I'm going to tune into that, watch Batman die in the first episode, and then get obsessed with all these teens over. I, that, I don't think that's the way it's going to go. So I think if we're looking, we need to go a bit more mature. And what screams mature to me when I think of DC? I think if, if I'm talking CW, I have to go with the first choice, which would be bring back Swamp Thing. Everybody 
was stunned when uh, Swamp Thing came to CW because it was originally a DC Universe show, a very mature DC Universe show that um, are streamed on the DC Universe. And in spite of it being incredibly successful, there were there was mumbo jumbo happening behind the scenes that resulted in it getting cancelled after just one episode. But they had the 10 season, it's a 10 episode season produced. So they aired the 10 episode season, received critical acclaim, and then nothing happened. Two years later, when the CW needed acquisitions, they aired the 10 episode season. It was heavily caught, but it did not affect the show whatsoever. Um, and it produced great ratings for the CW, probably better ratings than anything else at the time. Um, and everyone's like, what can you bring us to season two? Can you bring us to season two? And that never happened. They did say that they could introduce the Swamp Thing character on Legends of Tomorrow, but that ain't happening now. So mm. I feel like Swamp Thing was one of those critically acclaimed shows that appealed to an older audience. But I'm sure there were a lot of young people tuning in that shouldn't have been. Regardless, it appealed to everyone. It's a horror series. Um, and again, CW made it work even by cutting it. So season two, if they brought it back for a season two, it could be curtailed. I, just, I still think it would work. And I do think it would generate the buzz. They're hoping it would. I absolutely think it would be. So I think if you're going to lead with new and, or well, I say new, it's a, it's a comeback. But if you're going to lead with DC newer properties, that people would tune into Swamp Thing as one of them. The other one was a choice, or a suggestion you, Sabrina, had. And I think it's a great idea of um, a Rene Montoya series. Um, yeah, I think that's a class character. Um, she? she is a GCPD detective. She was originally introduced in the classic Batman, the animated series. That's how I knew her from what I knew her from when I was growing up. Um, that series introduced so many characters, but over the years, that character was introduced into the comics. Um, her love life became a big part of her character. She, she has, it was a lesbian and she had many, many female relationships or relationships with other females famous females from DC Comics. And you saw that portrayed in Batwoman when uh, Renee had an incredible relationship with Poison Ivy. And I really feel like that is she's such a well-established, lovable character. And she's always a supporting character in so much. It would be so cool to see her lead, lead her own stories. And I just think Gotham City is full of potential and you don't have to, it doesn't have to be a Batman show. You can reference him saying he's off doing this or whatever, or do what Batman, Batwoman didn't write about entirely. But I could just, the idea of seeing Rene Montoya clean up every week. And again, that lends itself to the procedural nature really nicely, because again, you have the genre, the comic books, but at the same time, you have the adventure of the week and the CW has worked with that so well. And again, if we're going for a slightly mature audience, focusing on a mature detective hardened by what she's seen in Gotham City, but also having enough room for a love life for diversity, which is what the networks need so much right now. Is that what Gotham was like? It was kind of like that. I think its first season was more procedural and it was focused on Gordon and Bullock. Uh, Renee Montoya was a character in the first season and then she was written out. She, yeah, and then she was written out. Um, and she was also she was played by Victoria Cartagena, who then reprised the role as Renee Montoya on Batwoman. Um, two different Renee Montoyas though. But how cool would it be if we got her back to play a third Renee Montoya yeah. in her own I show? I wanted to come back. Yes, I wanted to bad. <laughs> it would be. And I think we, we they increasingly keep getting better with Renee Montoya's characterization. Gotham didn't really do her justice, mainly because she was more like a love interest for Barbara Gordon. And then Batwoman was much better. And I'm like, just give her the reins to do a hard world detective story. 
if this was um, pre-Next Star CWI to just a film noir type of setting. But since that's not where we are, um, just straightforward cop drama with Renee kick and tail in Gotham, dealing with her home life um, with either a girlfriend or a wife, up to them. Um, and, you know, just giving us the gritty Gotham with, like, with her having like a heart of gold, but also being very um, abrasive. <laughs> she's, a, she's a little abrasive. Um, so like she would appeal to all those who lean heavily into cop dramas that are like that, you know, where you have the, she was a dude, usually a white dude um, who's like gruff and seen too many things. And he really just wants to keep the, the streets safe and he's having a hard time at home, but he's a good man with who sees bad things all the time. Like, I don't know. That just described seems that Commissioner feel. Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I mean, just, but we'd have it with Renee. Yeah, exactly. Give somebody else the spotlight for a change. And again, I've, I've rambled about how great a character she is. I've seen her from growing up in Batman, the animated series, seen her in Batwoman, seen her in Gotham, read her comics. I would love to see her get, I also saw her support in Birds of Prey, the movie. I, I would just love to oh, see that character. Thinking. Yeah. I would love to see that character. Who played her in Birds of Prey? Um, Rosie Perez, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh. Yes. Um, so yes, the great character, full of life, full uh, just waiting to be explored. And I think that bridges the line between CW drama, genre procedural, and comic book drama. And I think they're the three lines the CW needs to go in these days. Imagine if you had a show that ticked all three of them. That would be so cool. Um and then to stay on the Gotham City route, I did have one other idea and it's a bit of a predictable one, but it's something I think could be really successful and it would be a, a mature Batman anthology series. Comic books are full of incredible stories that people want to see adapted on the screen all the time. And they only get partially adapted in movies because obviously movies have to tell their own stories. Could you imagine a 10 part Batman anthology series that maybe it directly adapts one of Batman's most famous comic book stories. So like year one, a gritty story about a young Batman starting out and his relationship with Gordon and saving the city. That's a bit predictable. We've seen the origin story before. We don't necessarily need to see it again, but fair enough. Like there's just an example. And then season two, instead of having a young Batman, you just cast a different actor as an older Batman to adapt The Dark Knight Returns, a 10-part gritty drama about how Batman comes out of retirement to save a post-apocalyptic Gotham City and then ends up in a war with Superman for no reason whatsoever. Or then season three, go back into the middle of his career to adapt the story, The Long Halloween, where there's a murderer killing people on every holiday and Batman has to go get really detective mode here and solve it. I just think a lot of those stories are low budget, maybe not the war with Superman, but a lot of those stories would be make for a good low budget series and you could absolutely tell them in 10 episodes or whatever. And because you'd be using different actors, because you'd be looking at different parts of his life and because you'd be adapting different stories, it would feel like a different show all the time. So you wouldn't get tired the way people are tired of maybe other superhero shows, which have been on for eight seasons or um, (laughs) so it would stay fresh. And when the CW wants to make the effort to make superhero television, they absolutely nail it. And nobody will admit that, but like say we had a show that delivered five Superman at Lois's season one standards, like, there you go. Like a five part, a five season Batman anthology series, each season telling a different story with different actors playing those roles. Think American Horror Story Gotham. 
So I just think American Batman story. <laughs> exactly. <Yes. laughs> uh, I really like the anthology idea because it feels kind of like low commitment for a network. If you just make mm -hmm. a show that you know with an interesting idea and bill it as like an anthology or limited series, you can make it in an event, like make mm -hmm. it seem like a must watch, like gotta watch it now. And even if it flops and it's like, oh, well, we tried it and we can move on. But if it's successful, then you have a really good self-contained event series that you can promote the crap out of and bully people into watching because <laughs> if if consumers feel like oh i need to watch this everybody's watching it it's an event i feel like they will tune in and especially if it's batman come on exactly yes it feels like emmy bait even though they don't really lean towards genre but like what you described michael's like i want this terribly <laughs> so and it also would lend a bit of um credibility to the cw um which i think they want where like, yes, we do fun superhero shows, but also this Batman anthology series is like chef's kiss. It's a 10-10. Like this is, that would be their prestige moment. Michael yeah. gets a producer's credit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I just, I feel like it's just, it's so obvious. It's so annoying that no network's done it yet. It feels like streaming bit, which is why I think putting it on a network like the CW when they're trying to get people to tune in would be an absolutely glorious idea because people would tune in. It would and now okay that's at the top of my list for me like personally if like if we were in front of the board of cw and we had our powerpoint like the batman anthology would be number one for me um i don't know how i'd rank everything else but the ally mcbill one would be high mm -hmm. i think we have a lot of solid ideas me i think too. we do too and then the next one was one that i'm still not sure on why they have not done it yet considering um the CW loves a weird, like, young adult series, but Scooby-Doo, where, where's the Scooby-Doo original, like, for, for the CW? What's happening? Yeah, that's right. They should but, like, at least adapt the live-action movie, because everyone loves that movie. Right. And I'm not yeah. saying, like, bring back that cast, but just, like, in the vein of that storytelling style, where it was kind of, like, edgy, and some of the jokes were not for kids. <laughs> <laughs> But I fly was over the, their heads, so it's fine. I was in the theater in 2002 watching Sarah Michelle Gellar and Linda Cardellini and Freddie Prince Jr., so I don't know. <laughs> Feels like of all, there are so many properties out there and you can go, oh, that's that's absolutely CW. Like, you, you know what they'd adapt. And now you're not even Powerpuff safe from them. I just feel like Scooby-Doo feels like the one, maybe the one that got away. Like, uh, I'm shocked we've made it this far without the CW or even the WB back in the day trying to adapt. Scooby Doe. It, it feels feel like a, a tough one. Oh, I you agree. Gotta, you you got to get it right, or it's, it won't look good. I mean, yeah. the amount of things that they put on TV, though, that That's like true. weren't That's right, true. like That's they could have tried. <laughs> uh, okay. No, I mean, if if they had Supergirl battling a big like toothy per, uh, purple parasite, they can make a CGI dog work. We got this <laughs> purple parasite. <laughs> I'll ask you about it was an era, offline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this next idea I, I meant it as a joke and then it seemed like a really good idea and now that I'm seeing it again I'm like this is so stupid but it's really funny <laughs> Gilligan's Island <laughs> <Yes>. Gilligan's Island <laughs> but like a gritty like <laughs> like it's lost <laughs> yes <laughs> 
don't like, I, you got this they don't i don't want them to do it but it's it was too funny not to include like <laughs> i want you, it you sold us already you did i can't get through it though okay so like we'll try so gilligan's island but lost is what we're yeah, is what yeah like lost, but there's still some like silly giggles i don't know i don't even think i ever watched gilligan's island on nick at night but Maybe it's for the best that they haven't rebooted the show, <laughs> but it does seem inevitable. <laughs> like, like, if they are going to do it, the CW should really just put all the chips in the table and just really go for it. Like, they're losing Riverdale. Let's do, right. let's do crazy Gilligan's Island. Let's run through the jungle. Let's like have someone talking to a coconut. Like, let's, let's <laughs> um, like, let's have someone be like, like they cope by flirting. Like, they could really just do a lot of like gritty but charming things and supernatural maybe yeah mm. and they don't have a survival drama and so they could do that it'd be new it'd be fresh it'd be a risk that they can cancel after one season i don't know it would be intriguing like they have to have like the what's what was the thing they had the movie star the professor ginger i don't remember but it just imagining all those castings in like a slightly younger but still um old enough to court the 58 year old <laughs> <laughs> um just seeing that in my head it's just it's so funny and dumb but like isn't that the cw in a nutshell <laughs> yes and that's why they should do it like even if it's like a limited series or you know what a fun little 90 minute movie there you go but there are a lot of things that the cw needs to do more of um at the top of the list is family dramas that are not genre crossing. Because mm. we do have Superman and Lois, which we do talk about a lot as being like half of a family show, half of a Superman or superhero show. Um, but like back in the day in the, on the WB, we had like Everwood, which was a show about family with teen drama tucked into it. So it was still accessible to uh, teens and older audiences and then there was like Gilmore Girls which I feel like um, married the same kind of worlds where it was a mature show that also had teen elements that obviously I mean look at the staying power of that show people love everyone loves that show of all different ages and um, I feel like they kind of walked away from that to shows that are if they're about teens it's like you said genre crossing and the family angle isn't as um prominent because the families are usually based in um larger than life trauma is that a good way to describe what's happening on riverdale (laughs) it's not like like your normal average like dad stop pressuring me it's like dad please stop murdering my friends (laughs) yes so like getting back to like that i don't know i'm gonna say wholesome again but uh, not not the end of the wholesome spectrum that is seventh heaven, but like the end that is like Everwood and Gilmore girls to where it's everyone. There's something for everyone. It's not alienating anybody. It's realistic mm-hmm. about like the things that um, parents go through, whether they're, they had a two parent home or if it's a single parent um, or the realistic depictions of what teenagers are going through. Cause one of the things that like, the CW blows up, but a lot of teen shows do, is um, while there are teens struggling with addiction and inappropriate relationships and um, have parents who have 
murdered people. Uh, they're like the majority of them are not doing all of that. So like, where is the low stakes teen drama, whether it's in a family drama or it's a teen drama itself? I think we need more of those. I mean, it doesn't have to be high school musical, the high school musical, the musical, the series, long title. <laughs> in, <laughs> in any case, um, it, it doesn't have to be as um, cute and sugary as that, even though that, even that show has, has had its moments. Um, but there needs to be a happy medium of other things that they discuss, like bullying. Where's the public service announcement episode for teenagers? You know, it feels like the writing for teens now, I mean, teens have always been written by people who are not teenagers. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it goes. But I feel like nowadays I'm watching shows, and admittedly, I'm not a teenager, but the shows that I liked when I was younger or a teenager, it feels like they didn't write the teenagers in a way that belittled them or like was trying to appeal to the younger generation. They just wrote them as teenagers or what they knew, what the writers knew when they were teenagers. And now I'm watching like Pretty Little Liars Original Sin and I'm like, the things they're saying, it just feels like an older person was TikTok or reading like Twitter interactions. And I'm like, wow, trying to fold in the slang. Yeah, it gives it kind of like a time and place. Right now, everything is so fleeting that when you include a certain slang word, it's out of style by the time you put it on the, on whatever streaming service you're airing it on. So I feel like not to write teenagers like they're dumb or like there's just like a trend. Like I think about like Dawson's Creek. That was a show that was written very real as much as like they used SAT vocabulary and like they were just like really way too maybe mature. Um, but it was just kids going through emotions and they weren't written in any way that was dumbing them down or like talking down to the audience like I feel like when I hear these teenagers speak in some of these shows I'm like who who are you writing for and what I feel like I take it personally I'm like what do you think of me (laughs) why are you writing like this (laughs) no um I'm so with you on that and I know Riverdale is an example of that that like nobody speaks like real people on that show but like even it go, I feel like it goes beyond that into the genre itself, like you said. And like, I think the reason so many of these family and teen shows worked is because with teenagers, everything is heightened. And I think that's what a lot of the older ones got right in that they're not high stakes things in the grand scheme of things, but to the teenagers, they are the stakes of the world. They're carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. They feel everything. And so it's not, it, it, it's, it, it's not a case of, my doppelganger from a parallel universe has kidnapped the mayor kind of stakes. It's, it's, but it feels like those kind of stakes to them. And like, why can't we have just another Parenthood or another Gilmore Girls? Of course, Superman and Lois has taken the family drama beautifully, but like, why isn't there a show out there like that? Like I could watch Superman and Lois without any of the hero stuff. It's that good. But why is there no show out there like that? That's just 100% family drama. That's just 100% family driven and has that heart 100% of the way through, through, Whereas nowadays, it's like they've taken a lot of the shows have taken the best of that genre and employed it to varying degrees of success, aka Riverdale, and employed it to various other aspects of shows. So you have genre shows that have family elements in it, but it's not the same as those classic nostalgic shows like Gilmore Girls or Parenthood or even something like Party of Five. It just it doesn't feel like there's any of that kind of authentic teen drama on television anymore. Yeah, because we can do high stakes stress. Um, but not have it be the entire 
conversation. I was thinking when you guys are talking about like low stakes things that are actually high stake to teenagers, I was thinking about Gossip Girl, um, the, the, I think it was a revival on HBO Max. Um, they did social media, like bullying and the persona that you put on that's different from who you are as a person. But like they, of course, had to blow it up because it's Gossip Girl. But think about what about episodes in which uh, on a teen drama where someone, whatever someone said, did go viral, you know, and they're dealing with stuff online or, you know, they just pissed off somebody um, in their high school and now the whole high school is not talking to them. Like that's a thing that kids actually do go through. And maybe it's not as blown up as the whole city of New York um, dumping on Julian Calloway, <laughs> but like uh, it would be, I don't know. I just think that there needs to be room for more teen dramas that are specifically more realistic to the things that they go through and not, this is what they go through, but also let's blow it up to a thousand in yeah. a situation that they most likely would not have to deal with. Teen drama, not teen trauma. Mm. Yes. That's the Another thing that I really want is I, I'd love for them to work with um, more people that are producing really good shows right now, like Quinta Brunson and Michael brought up Melissa Ben. I don't know how to say her name. Melissa Benoist. Yeah, give us our, our last name lesson again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they have like, they have overall deals. Is it, they're both at Warner Brothers. Correct me if I'm wrong, right? I believe so. I know Melissa is, yes. Okay, yeah, then Qu- Quinta is too. It just feels like they should be not stealing from their ideas because that's a big thing when someone gets a hit show they try to like oh let's let's make our abbott it's like mm-hmm. no why don't you ask the creator like do you have any other ideas and we'd love to bring your give your ideas a home and i think it would be so amazing to see quinta's vision on a grander scale and on a network like the cw because she's currently i feel like the voice of a generation i can't really speak to what melissa's doing maybe michael can <laughs> <laughs> no but i totally agree with you um melissa's had an awful lot of input in the later seasons of supergirl i'm not sure if she ever got the producer credit but she definitely had an awful lot of input in, in making the character that strong woman that we all know and love and both that and just the fact that she has such an established fan mess i just feel like the supergirl fans not it didn't necessarily translate to viewers but they had such a global reach and perhaps was perhaps the biggest of any of the arrowverse shows i imagine being able to rely on that 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 their kind of inbuilt established fan base to produce a new show imagine being able to rely on melissa's talent to produce a new show and now part of that deal is that she can't star in them so it's up to her whether she'd want to do that but just having her name attached to her property on the cw network i think would be an absolute hit out of the gate so it's a just, draw for supergirl fans even if exactly very much so and it would definitely if it's the melissa Man- benoist Benoist. I always want to say, so I always want to say Benoit. And like, and I know you said that's the, like the, what, the French pronunciation or something. Yep. Yep. Um, but like if it was like a Melissa produced um show, they're definitely tuning in. Um and as far as like Quinta Brunson, what I really appreciate about her is her awareness of what television can do mm-hmm. for um whether it's for a family or it's just for bringing attention to different issues and in Abbott Elementary's case it was um you know being an educator and what that looks like and what that looks like when you're not getting the funding but also her being aware that the tv could not solve um in this case America's issues I loved when she shut people down and when they were asking her about like would you do a school shooting and she was like absolutely not for what reason this is a comedy 
Mm-hmm. Um, so when you have someone who's aware of the power of television, but also aware of the things that she should be bring, bring attention to and the things that are best served in to discuss in the public forum and not be used as entertainment for people um, to live through other people's trauma for some reason. Um, I just think CW would, would do well with a voice mm-hmm. like that, like hers. <laughs> um, Cause they, they've had their, their share of, of uh, trauma dumping and we need to stop. Your hair. Yeah. I'd love to see Melissa do something like, I don't know, high concept. And I'm imagining Quinta would do something very like grounded and maybe she could do our, the family, the family drama that we want that has a lot of levity and like humor to it. Yes. Oh yes. Please Quinta. I don't, if, if you get a phone call from the CW, at least entertain it. <laughs> she might not pick up the phone, but like, please pick it up. I know Melissa would probably entertain it though. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Especially if it's if Greg Berlanti's involved, she absolutely would. <laughs> and then for unscripted programming, we only have one um, suggestion right now. And it's one that Reed has already brought up, but we're going to chop it again. <laughs> and that is Big Brother Teen. Would the 58-year-olds love that? I don't know. But I still think it would be fun. <laughs> I, you're right. But I think if we're going to court the... Um, some of the younger audience, they might. Or, um, no, it's only Big Brother Teen. I don't think there's another Big Brother that you can do, unless you did, like, low-budget CW stars. Mm, like, yeah. the third tier. Yeah, you're right. Let's just do Big Brother Teen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had known nothing about Big Brother, but I just feel like that would be something that would catch on. Based on, like, the ridiculousness that I've seen in some of the photos, I don't know why we're climbing walls. I don't know why. We're, like, we've got... <laughs> Groups like, um, was it besties, besties, and the leftovers? It's, it's the worst. The, <laughs> it's the season's twists are just not doing it. <laughs> it's so cringy, but it's always. I mean, sometimes it gets a little real when we're watching these people and they're saying and doing things that are maybe out of pocket, out of context, and are harmful. Um, but as a show, it's really entertaining and fun. And maybe you could, um, with the teen demographic, it would be less problematic. I don't know. Maybe I'm putting too much credit on teens and even more fun. I don't know. I mean, it could be also low budget. That's what like the um, they said that they're doing. This, these unscripted programmings are going to be, they didn't say on a true string, but I'm going to assume that's what they mean. We're, you're getting a camera, you're getting some rooms, have fun. Yeah, just reuse the set. In the off season. Yes. Oh, you know, that'd be so much fun. They're in the Kent house. That's where they're trapped <laughs> <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> okay. Um, but moving past our pitches, um, it is, well, we don't actually know whether or not this is going to be the case. We did make some predictions on what shows are most likely safe and what shows probably might not be after the 2022, 2023 um season uh this is probably going to bother some people but if we're thinking about where this network is headed um some of these shows may not stick around so gonna kick it off with all american um i think personally it's gonna be final season for a season six and i say that because it's a veteran show and it's part of the previous era and it already has a um it already has a spinoff i could see that 
or maybe two more seasons. I don't know. Yeah, because they have what are we on? It is five aging, so it is aging, and they're doing. Um, they're in college, and that's not to say that they might not do all of um, all of the college years. But uh, in this era of television, things aren't really surviving um, past like season five, um, unless they're a procedural. So I don't know. Then there's All American Homecoming, which um, I think it's a little in trouble based on its ratings from last season and based on the direction that Nextstar wants to take the CW. But I'm hopeful that they got the Netflix bump, which means that by the time they premiere behind their parent show in October, the, uh, the viewership should go up, especially if CW is back in the promoting game. Mm. Yeah, and the fact that it was one of, it was the only one, it wasn't part of the early renewals, because it was still on at the time, but it was the only other show that got renewed when all the rest of them got cancelled. So either that's a really good thing for it or a really bad thing for it because A, it means they have a lot of faith in the show or B, it means there's a ton of pressure on it to succeed this time around. So that might mean that the slight faltering will be, it will be under the biggest spotlight. But at the same time, look at how Riverdale's ratings improved from seasons one to two when it got that Netflix bump. So fingers crossed all American Homecoming would go the same right. I hope so. I really love that show and I liked it to stay on. And it's um, it's one of the only college dramas. I mean, all American turn into a college drama, but it started as um, it started in high school. Um, so I hope it sticks around. I hope it does get the Netflix bump. Um, Michael, you will get the final decision on DC's Stargirl. So what do you think? This is a tricky one because I feel like there's a lot working against Stargirl at the moment because it, from what we got about Next Star CW, it's that they won't be producing teen shows and they won't be producing expensive shows. And even though Stargirl is far from a teen drama and one of the highest quality shows on the CW, it is essentially an expensive show about teenagers. So that kind of feels like a big red light for Stargirl. And at the same time, is it's not getting a new season produced this season because they decided to hold the previous season that was already filmed that should have heard during the summer. They've decided to hold that for the fall season now, which means the cast have to wait for this show, this season, to be either well-received or not so well-received by the viewers before they can find out if there's going to get a fourth season. So it's all up in the air for Stargirl at the moment, and there is an awful lot of pressure on it leading the pack. Because it's the first CW original of the fall, it could work in its favor. But at the same time, it's so out there on its own for such a long time, it might not. I'm literally 50-50 on it. Because I have faith, I am going to say, hopefully, Stargirl will be renewed. But I can also see the writing on the wall as to why it might not be. So I'm going to enjoy the season as though it's the final season, just in case. But it sucks that that's like the thing everyone has to do because of the new era. Um, Gotham Knights, it's too early to tell. We haven't mm-hmm. seen a single thing. It premieres in 2023. If you were to ask the internet, they'd say that it get canceled after the first episode. But we are not the internet, and we are more fair uh, to CW shows than they are. Um, I think that because it's gotten bad press, um, well, not bad press, it's got a bad reputation online, um, that it's going to start off out the gate a little rough. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that it's not going to find its feet and find an audience. 
Yeah, exactly. Batwoman did the exact same thing. The trailer absolutely destroyed the excitement for it, but people still tuned in and it got better as the first season went on and not a single episode was as bad as the trailer suggested it was going to be. So we can all have faith that Gotham Knights will do the same. And even if it's remotely successful, I do feel like it'll come back for a second season, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. We'll wait and say, but just because there wasn't an awful lot working in its favour doesn't mean there won't be come the time that it premieres in 2023. That's true. We haven't even hit the promo cycle yet. It exactly. has one trailer and a poster, and that is all we've gotten. So um, buckle up, people. It may actually be one of your favorite shows on the CW. The trailer isn't suggesting that, but the actual material might. Um, as for Kung Fu, safe. I mean, it just, it was renewed early, um, and it does well on the network. And they're not a veteran show yet. They're going into season three, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just hit like junior tier. So it's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's consistent enough and it seems to sign up with what the new CW wants. So I think that should be safe enough. Fingers crossed for it. Fingers crossed. And then you have Nancy Drew, also safe. Um, renewed early. It was the wild card. No one expected that one. Um, and a bigger fan base than people realize that it has, uh, not to mention its IP, um, well-known IP, and it's doing well. Um, so she's not in danger. I wonder if she appeals to an older audience as well. And that works in her favor. She may. I don't know. I mean, I get like watching it. I don't feel like it's it's too young. It doesn't skew mm-hmm. young. Um, obviously, they're young adults, but it's not. It's not giving. This is meant for nineteen year olds, and everybody mm-hmm. else is just going to be along for the ride. And Superman and Lois. I'm going to say tentatively safe, and I only say that because it's getting up there, and the thing, um, the situation at Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, has me concerned about a Superman show if they bring Henry Cavill back for a Superman movie. I think that's the only thing that would make me nervous at the moment is that at the same time the CW drama has been going on, the HBO Max drama has been going on in the background. It feels like nothing's safe because of that. But at the end of the day, the CW should have final say over this one since it's one of their two most successful shows. So provided season three stays on the exact same track that seasons one and two did, Fingers crossed we have no hiatuses to disrupt the ratings. But if all goes well, there's no reason to think that it won't be back for season four unless Warner Brothers has something to do with it. And Warner Brothers should not. Like they no. just stay out, focus. stay out of the way. Yes. <laughs> we don't come for Superman unless at least let us. I think what are going to season three, I think we should probably worry once we get season four. Mm-hmm. Only just because once you start getting towards a, a, a fifth season, that tends to be when they're kind of done with you when they yeah. want to bring something else in. Um, Walker's safe. Walker's obviously safe. Walker's not going nowhere. Walker's going to outlive us all. <laughs> yeah. That's actually one that's a good case for them pushing past the season five. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's procedural enough. And again, I think that kind of lines up with their new vision for the CW. I could see that go on for a little while yet. Yeah. And then with Walker Independence, too early to tell. Mm-hmm. But it's incredibly different. We'll talk about that in a moment when we talk about <laughs> what we're watching. But it's it's different from what the CW is usually given, mm-hmm. um, which could work in its favor and it could not. We'll see once it starts airing. Um, and then the Winchester's too early to tell, like likely safe. Very much so. I don't even really know. Like it's just a gut feeling, but also because they have the supernatural fandom who are excited for the show. Um, and it's just um, I'm. I wouldn't be surprised if they got an early renewal in this new era. To be honest. 
Yeah, I feel like that's one of the only shows that feels completely safe, definitely. And we'll get, like you said, the established fan bases there. And then when it comes to shows and development, um, which they're, at least the ones that hit the news, because the CW has like a vault of shows and development mm-hmm. that they just stop talking about. Um, but Babylon 5 is likely safe because that will get an older audience. Um, Justice U, likely safe. Um Powerpuff, dead on arrival. Like it's no. We have no. <laughs> like, <laughs> not in this next star era. They're done. No, it belongs to a bygone era. <laughs> and then Zero is up in the air. Um, I don't really know about. Personally, I don't know about that one. Um, I mean, it's IP. It's recognizable IP, um, but it's also gender swapped, which might be an issue for next star. And it would be another western. Mm, and they it. have two. That's it. So much about it feels like I keep saying that, like what Nexstar's vision of CW would want. As soon as Nexstar released that statement, everybody was like, oh, Walker's safe. So I feel like that could work in Zorro's favor because of what the established IP it is. It could appeal to a similar audience. But a lot about the Zorro reboot sounded to me like a very modern CW show. And it excited me in the same way that, say, Batwoman excited me. It excited me in the same way that, say, Supergirl excited me. And I we don't have those shows anymore. So if they didn't make it into this era, will the new Zorro make it into this era? Um, I, I hope so. <laughs> I know. I know. In any case, I mean, guys, do you think we're going to be on this ride for like the next two years until we stabilize when it comes to the CW? Yeah, we're not going to know what's happening for a hot minute. Sam, oh. yeah. Yep, totally agree. All up in the air. <laughs> Like being in limbo is <laughs> absolutely the worst. So, um, Reed, cheer me up. Dynasty, like, catch us up to what's happening. Yeah, I'll zip through this episode. It was kind of a big one, but an oddly, like, tame episode for leading up to the final three episodes. Liz directed this episode, which is very exciting. Um, there was a lot of humor in it. Uh, so Fallon is back in her horse girl you know she's back in that vibe i don't exactly know what she was going what was going on with her because when liz gets zipping through fallon's exposition sometimes it like i get distracted by the fashion i'm like i just missed everything fallon said um but it's not always super important but at any rate she was trying to impress this um woman who was running a charity she wanted to work with or something. And Fallon had this idea to do a bachelor auction, which was exactly not what the woman wanted. So she roped in Sam, Colhane, and Liam to be the bachelors in this bachelor auction. And the woman was, of course, just like horrified at what Fallon was doing and giving away. And But I thought it was really funny. Um, but in, at the last minute, uh, Jeff, who had was like, I'm not helping you with this. Good luck. Um, swooped in at the last minute and like saved Fallon and donated a bunch of money and proved the her enemy wrong. So another win for Fallon in the books. Um, no baby news. The surrogate was not in the episode. So <laughs> she's safe, healthy, hopefully off screen. Um, but the other half of Fallium, Liam is still just in the middle of this book drama. He was toying on what to do with this dead man's manuscript that he came into possession of. Um, 
Yeah, I don't want to give it away, but he might be going to jail for plagiarism at some point. Yep, <laughs> that's what it sounds like. <laughs> he was trying to like, he was asking Sam, he was like, because um, I guess Sam has like a competitor around the block that sells a tuna melt and, and Liam was bought the tuna melt for the competitor and he was making Sam try it. And he was like, what do you think about this tuna melt? Would you put, tu- uh, put a tuna melt back on your menu or would you steal the recipe? And Sam was like, what is this about? It's not about a sandwich. And he told Sam and Sam was like, absolutely do not steal the book. And then in the end, Liam was like, guess what? I stole the book. And Sam was like, ugh. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I, I, I ended up just giving it away. I apologize. Um, <laughs> but we'll see what happens for Liam. But he did not tell Fallon that that's what he did. But Fallon read it and was like, I loved your book. And he was like, Ooh, <laughs> about that. <laughs> uh, and there's only like three episodes left to tie it all yeah, up. There, yeah, there are three episodes left. Um, if you want to see the rest of my thoughts on the episode to our listeners, I live tweeted this particular episode. So go to the CW Spiral on Twitter and scroll until you find my live tweets. We had a good time. It looked fun. Also, <laughs> Liam sounds like a mess. Like, can't, he can't talk to his um, editor and let them know he needs an extension or did he already get an extension? I don't think he ever expressed that he was having trouble writing this book because there was at one point he was like really stressed about the deadline and like not being able to follow up his previous book. And then we got the six month time jump and come to find out that he has not expressed his stress to anybody. I don't even think to Fallon. He was just complaining like, oh, I need a quiet place to write. <laughs> and then um, his mentor, I think, I think it was his mentor passed away. And then he oh. stole the um, his manuscript. Wait, he stole his mentor's manuscript? Yeah. Yikes. Oh, he's being haunted once again. We'll get another <laughs> horror sequence. Like, his mentor is going to come back in a dream. Poor Liam. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens with with uh, Liam, but I expect um, a lawsuit is in his future. Yes. The estate is going to come for <laughs> Definitely are. It was um, really funny because he was like, he was like, I changed a lot. Like I went through the manuscript and I added and I punched it up and everything. And Sam was still like, that's not how plagiarism works, guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's still copying. Have fun with that case. Um, and three episodes. Wow. Well, I, I mean, I hope the le- I hope the season doesn't end with Liam getting pulled away with and handcuffs and Fallon's coming about not being a single mother. I mean, no one really ever goes to jail on the show. They always get out of it. So. No, this is very true. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so moving to... For, no, it's the same amount of... No, we're not. It's going to stop. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the idea just... The, the, the segue just went right out of my head. We're going to talk about Walker Independence. That's what as we're going to talk about. As much as we can. As much as we can. Which means not at all, but you get the point. <laughs> yes, it'll be like the, the little Winchester's teaser we gave you guys. Um, if I had to say anything about Walker Independence, that it's that it has a lot of potential and it's a show that you are definitely going to have to allow to grow. I was surprised. Without giving any full sentiment away, I was surprised. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm trying to think of a different way to say something like that, but <laughs> I feel like you guys summed it up. Yeah, I would totally agree with everything you said. And I think the Walker fans should tune into it to see what they're going to think of it. I think whoever tunes into it is going to be in for an adventure. 
and they will be surprised. I think I did a good job of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I know that we talked a lot about these three new shows as they were developing and before they got picked up and we were like trying not to be too harsh about like not having any of the material just like going off of casting and and um plots and then eventually we got the trailers and the trailers were all kind of varying degrees of interesting um but i think i can say that if you've watched the walker independence trailer you haven't really seen the show Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i think i i think i can say that i think we're we'll get away with that (laughs) yeah because it's like this is very much a part of the dare to defy era of the cw like you've seen the trailer obviously this is a period piece and the the only other period piece they've done that i can think of is rain um -hmm. and so it's giving so it's like it's different uh and it's 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 a good different actually i'm interested to see you know how this works in um in the lineup considering it's a west it's a good it's a tried and true western yeah that's something we think we can talk about that I just think that this show is so different compared to what everything else that's on the CW. You knew that if you watched the trailer, you knew that if you've seen the promo photos. And I think you knew that from the moment was in the minute it was announced. And I'm intrigued to see how it'll fit in on the lineup, but I'm excited for it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I, one more point um, that is, it's not towing the line of spoilers. I just want to give a shout out to Kat McNamara because she um, she's great. Um, and I'm excited for this vehicle for her and um, what it could, it, what it could do for her and her career and, and wherever she wants to go, you know, moving forward since we lost her as me a smoke for now. Yeah. Um, Nothing but her. respect for my green arrow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, excited for Kat. Very much so. And then we're going to stop here now. Um, because the line is, I, I see the line right there, and so I was gonna just stop know, flashing right there. red light. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Speaking of strong women, shall we talk Nancy before we wrap shall, it up? Yeah, shall talk Nancy. Um, this felt a bit filler for me. Um, still enjoyable, but a bit filler. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't as strong as the previous four, but it was still a good time. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think the minute it started leaning in, like they've they're well aware of the fact that the supernatural exists now. But I think this is the most they've leaned into it yet. And I knew the moment it did, that was going to lend itself nicely to villain of the week or story of the week. Of course, it was Tiffany who possessed George. So that's not very that's not really villain of the week. But it definitely gave the episode a standalone quality, which you can take or leave. But all, I think all in all, it was still a very strong standard of, of a filler episode, if we want to call it that. Um. Yeah, there was a lot to enjoy in there and I'm sure we'll get into it, but I really enjoyed it even for the standalone thing that it was. I think there were a lot of um, character building moments in this episode. Mm-hmm. We're getting more dynamics with the girls, like uh, Nancy, Bess, and George had that moment after the exorcism where they just got to be friends finally. Like they've been kind of like building that dynamic since the beginning, since they were just co-workers and then they're thrown together in this mess and now that they're glued together in this mess, they're finding friendship in it. And I thought those were really uh, fun moments. And even the the banter between Ace and Bess is still building. Like I loved everything Ace does. I love because he's so funny. Um, when Bess was like, when should we worry? And he's like, never. And then he like quickly turns. He's like, about what? <laughs> <laughs> I died laughing. And then when Bess brought up Lisbeth and then he was he 
didn't have a line. He just like made a face. Like if you have to watch Ace for his reactions because they're so um, under the radar. And he did something else like in the background of the scene that I It's clocked. a next scene. It's the yeah. when Nancy is flirting with, is his name Oliver? Um, and Nick catches her and he drops the pan and then Ace is the back. He turns around with, oh, yeah, with your knife. Because <laughs> 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 it scared him. <laughs> that, was a, that was a great moment. I uh, love him. As, as I, good, I, sorry, go ahead. No, you go, you go, you go. I was gonna, his goofy personality really came across well this week and even in the dialogue as well. For example, when they found out that um, George was possessed by Tiffany, he was like, bad news is Tiffany doesn't like you. Good news is Tiffany's dead. Sorry, Nick. <laughs> Great <laughs> moment. We even get a lot of like Nick stuff too. Like we learn that he really is kind of jealous. Like he mm. sees Nancy talking to Owen and was like, what's up there? And it also feels like, I don't know if this is just me um, preemptively picking up on the ship watch. Cause I'm, you know, I don't usually like tune into ship stuff, but for this particular watch, I'm like so zoned in. Um, there's some tension between him and Ace, which is kind of interesting. Um, he yeah. seems like he doesn't really like Ace, but he tolerates him. But then they kind of are friends. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can like get a read on how he feels about Ace. But Ace feels so, like he's kind of like scared of him a little bit or something. But Ace generally feels like he's scared of most people, even Nancy. I think he is a little bit intimidated by um, Nick. I was like watching this, uh, if we're just launching into ship watch real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I, I was like, dang, the disrespect to like the Nick and Nancy. Um, mm-hmm. he's, he's more invested than she is. And that's very clear. Yeah. Like the, that, um, the moment with Oliver, I was like, oh, you just met this man. Why are we like flirting in front when well, Nick wasn't in the room yet? But like it was clearly she was vibing. And I mm-hmm. was like, not with the new Marvin, you're not. Like, what is what what are you doing? She um, has and she does on these on these missions and these mysteries that she kind of everything else is secondary. And she's like, I'm gonna flirt with this man to get some answers. I don't care what Nick thinks, he just has to trust me, and he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't well, I think he really he probably really shouldn't. I think their relationship, like I if I was not aware of Nick and Nancy, you know, deteriorating, I would, this seemed like the writing on the wall, like the beginning of the writing on the wall, um, because her interest, not to say she doesn't care about him. It is very clear that she cares a lot about Nick. I don't think she's ready to be settled into a serious relationship, which is completely fine. So that's probably going to have the talk they're going to have, but you can also see that the long game is ace because there's that moment when they're all discussing everything mm. and she's standing incredibly yeah. close to Ace and they're um, it's the way that they're looking at each other mm-hmm. and he seems to be in tuned to um, the things that she's saying. And I was like, space needs to be here. And space <laughs> is not here. Um, but also you could just feel, you could feel they have a connection that's going to start coming up in, in the, t- the story, which is fine. I just really want them to get there a little faster. Cause I'm like, Nick, <laughs> yeah if if anyone were to watch this episode out of context i don't think they would have known that nick and nancy were together until that mm-hmm. moment at like the very end when after the exorcism moment when he needs to he needed to go do like the flash drive thing with ace and nancy was like okay mm-hmm. yeah go and then they kiss out even i was like oh i didn't know we were still like on good terms because it was it's been so hot and cold throughout the episode that hasn't really even been a a key factor their relationship so even that kind of like took me aback so like if somebody had just happened to tune into this episode they would be like oh they're together interesting 
Mm. Oh, and towards the end, like you would, you would think that like they're together, but we're on, we're at the end of the relationship. Cause then he catches her again with, it's his, I'm assuming, I think his name's Oliver. She ca- he catches her again with Oliver and those two leave together right before he goes to go help with, um, with the drive. I'm like, Nancy, perhaps we need to have a discussion with Nick if you're not feeling it as much as he is, which is funny that like we went from very intense to um, her eyes wandering a little. Right, because wasn't it the third episode the two of them teamed up together um, and then that that reestablished their bond, that reestablished the relationship. And then I don't really remember if they had much scenes in the fourth episode. And here we are in the fifth one and it just, it feels like it, it, it's literally gone. You know what I mean? It's just, you can see the writing on the wall. I think that's the best way of putting it. Yeah, he may not be comfortable with her methods of, um, I'm going to solve this case no matter what it takes. And he may not, that may not be what he wants in a partnership that she's going to flirt with this rich man to get the answers she needs and make him think that she likes him, but she doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so he may not like that. Maybe that's what breaks them up. I just want to know. <laughs> Might be. I, I, I want to know too, because it does seem like they are just, they can't seem to get on the same track. Like we're on the same track. And then whatever case sends Nancy um, in another direction and, um, and Nick's like, dang it, <laughs> what's, what's, what's going on? I think though that um, Nancy's my girl. So whatever is going on in the background there, I'd like to know, know more about. Um, I do think it's interesting how much the show just allows her to be, you know, her. You don't really get a lot of female leads um, where, I don't want to put this, where they're kind of not, they're not shamed. She's not shamed for um, the way that she goes about um solving her mysteries, getting her information, prioritizing herself. Uh, it's just, we just need to have a conversation with Nick. And that's about it. Um, her and Mr. Oliver uh, do have chemistry though. They do. Mm-hmm. It's there. Um, Nick's not not reading. He's not just projecting. It's clearly there. Yeah. When he walked into the claw, I like sat up because I was like, they're not going to bring a man to the claw wearing a tight white shirt if he's not important. So I was like, what's happening? <laughs> this is going to be an important scene. Somebody's going to have eyes for him. Who is yeah, it? <laughs> yeah. I was like, who's he got chemistry with here? And then there was none in that scene. And then when he, when he ran into Nancy in the kitchen, I was like, oh, here we go. And he immediately helped her. Like we just um, went to go get her a shovel and everything. She's like, you want to be helpful? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, what do you want? Because why are you being helpful? With Nancy? Yeah, it feels like he helped her break the law like you can't just like go to a school and dig up their time capsule can you i don't think so i don't think you can do like, that someone had to see that like they got an excavator <laughs> <laughs> like you can't just hide an excavator behind the sheet and be like nothing <laughs> i know that's the that part was so interesting i mean it felt a little bit like plot coming in because i don't man maybe they'll tell us what his connection to her is um it just says like, why are you being so helpful already but he was weird. involved in something, right? They found the paper with his name on it. Yes, yeah. it has something to do with the files on Tiffany's computer that they opened. Mess. I know. Which means that Nancy's going to lean harder into the charm once they dull her. And Nick's going to want her to leave him be. Yeah. Um, if they, they're even not going to agree. Oh, well, he did. He called Nancy, right? And she declined it. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's right. Yeah. Interesting. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole George situation was fun this episode. Um, George and Tiffany, just because it gave the actress the, um, the ability to like stretch and, and do mm-hmm. a lot. I also loved, um, again, I love her mom. Um, mm-hmm. She comes in with her side bag and whatever she needs to, um, 
to send Tiffany on. And I, I do like that um, they, it's clearly not as budgeted as other stuff. So we just get wind and, and we get her mom um, chanting and, and, and banishing her out, but it really, really works. It works. And I enjoyed it. Definitely. I think the mom's such a fun character as well. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how they establish that relationship with her and George going forward, because you saw as soon as the exorcism was over, the mom was just right out of there. No time for waiting. And uh, I think that's because she knows her relationship with George is frosty and they never really got the chance to patch it up. So I'm look, I, I hope that plays into it going forward because she's quite the resource. I'm sure she'll come in handy for the Drew crew again. And those seeds were planted seeing George's home life finally with mm-hmm. the little sisters and what their home is like. It's just a small apartment with the sheet dividing them from a room. So to continue breaking down why George is the way she is. And I think it's really interesting. She's, I feel like she's the character we know the least right now, mm-hmm. but we have like all the pieces. We just need to put them together. Mm. Yeah. And then there's that great voiceover from Nancy where she says that George is the breadwinner and mm-hmm. her mom's not really an adult. And then you get to see it. And I don't know if they're tell us this later or not, but is it me or are all the girls named after the men she might have had a child with? See, I, mm. I, I clocked that too, but I yeah. wasn't sure what the namesakes were. I kind of liked it for having, for subverting like gendered names. Mm-hmm. I liked that aspect of it. Uh, George, Ted, and Charlie. I loved it. <laughs> so I hope maybe, even if it's just like a throwaway thing that like, oh, her mom decided to name her daughter's traditionally male gendered names. I'll accept it, but I would like a little bit of backstory. Mm. Yeah. Like, are they juniors or does she just like those names? Or was she like, was she hoping for boys? She had girls every time. And she's like, <laughs> fine, you're George, you're Ted and you're Charlie. Um, it was just like, it's a little character um, on the Feather family. And I just want mm-hmm. to know more about it because I am interested in, in um, George's family. Is there anything else in this episode? Earlier I said it was filler. By that, I meant less so as it being a standalone and more so that it's clearly building story. Like it's a yeah. it's an episode built to set up plot that we're gonna get later. And those can those always those always show themselves. They're always a little bit mm-hmm. of a tell. And it's not that they're not good. It's just um, they're never up to the standard of, of the previous episodes, yeah. and that's fine. There was the reveal. Nancy found out that um, Ryan knew Lucy Sable. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that adds a layer of, to that mystery and the connection between them potentially. True. Yeah. And it, it was giving um, Nancy Drew game as far as the CGI. As like, why does he look like he's in yeah. the hidden staircase? <laughs> it took me a, a while for that reveal to sink in because she was really shocked. And in the moment I was like, wait, why is that that shocking? And I kind of, I had to like think about it for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> But she yeah. was really shook by that revelation. She was. Yes. And it was the, the episode ender. So I was like, let me sit here and think about this for a sec. <laughs> and that's just because that, um, that would tie Ryan to two women who mm-hmm. died mm-hmm. under mysterious circumstances. And it does feel, and both I said, and was it when we watched the pilot that both of those could have been episodes of the week's kind of stories. And yet they've both now dragged on in a very, very good way. So it's now, now you're starting to see, it is like a real mystery. You're starting to see the pul- pieces of the puzzle come together. And I feel like Ryan's the first real thread they have. So I think that's what it was getting at, whether it was the cliffhanger. Cause I know I was like, okay, it's Ryan. Why is this a big deal? And then I was like, oh, okay, okay. Now he's been involved, well, closely tied to two potential murders. 
He does not seem um, like he'd be a murderer, though. Like, he's not on mm-hmm. my list. No. See, like, it's too obvious. True. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a, too bumbling. He's like, yeah, he's, like, involved on the outskirts somehow. Like, mm-hmm. as, like, a scapegoat or something. He's a red yeah. herring. Yeah. Ooh, love that. Potentially. Yes. I don't know anything about the season, so <laughs> not a spoiler. <laughs> I know something that I just spoke for like a long time ago before we even decided to do Nancy Drew. And I'm going to I'm gonna sit on it until we get there to see what you guys know. Okay. That's that's intriguing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there and Nancy Drew right there. Um uh before we wrap up, this week's roast is just that Warner Brothers Discovery needs to stop disrespecting creators who make work for HBO Max um, and pulling their titles so that they cannot be um, seen, especially work that they um, had a season ready to go on that they've decided not to do. Um, it just keeps getting more and more dire out here for creators finding out in the news, not even from the company themselves, that their work is not going to be shown and is being uh, taken as a write down for taxes. Like it's really disrespectful um, and disheartening to see. It is, and it doesn't allow for creative vision either. And it does, it, it, it kills a shelf life because what I saw was that show Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, the animated series is being pulled. And I was like, but it's a HBO Max original. So like, where, where does a HBO Max show go when it's not on HBO Max? I hate this era, I hate it so much. It's bad. It's bad out here. And it's just going to keep happening. Um, and uh, people put their hearts and their souls into their work and they take time away from their family and they, then, you know, you get stressed with these projects and now you're saying, oh, it's not good enough. Mm-hmm. It's basically nothing. It doesn't fit where the direction we're going in. So we're not going to leave it on the platform, but we're not going to put it anywhere else either. Um, and you're just going to have to eat that and be fine with it. In today's like day and age, that shouldn't happen. No, in today's day and age, that shouldn't happen. Nothing should be like, no no kind of content should be lost forever, especially when people put their hard work into it. Is it, is it too cliche to say, hit the zero once more? <laughs> no, no, because it's true. It's a terrible, terrible era. Oh. Let's toast to a future in the distance that's better. Yeah. Yes. I can get behind that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, and Warner Brothers Discovery gets somewhere and sits down once we have this plan. Like it just stops. So yes. You got this. (laughs) 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 And with that, um, we're the CW Spiral. I'm Sabrina. I'm Michael. And I'm Reed. Bye y'all.